electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, Wall Street's reality check from the fade in industrials and cyclicals to the continued downside moves in the banks. Is this market starting to wake up to the real risks of a recession? Plus, NVIDIA's bull run, the stock going parabolic this year, up nearly 90%. Is this now the short of a lifetime, or can the stock keep defying gravity? And later, Baba's bullish breakout, C3AI's jaw-dropping plunge, and the tussle one of our traders is having with the man behind Tesla and Twitter. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the market finally waking up to the reality that a slowdown may in fact be coming. Groups tied closest to the economy taking a hit today. Industrials dropping more than 2%, nearly giving back all their gains over the past week. Energy stocks also giving back recent gains. The S&P's biggest losers today include Valero sliding 8%, Marathon Petroleum down more than 7%, and another rough day for financials. The S&P Regional Bank ETF sliding over 2%, closing just a hair off its lowest level since the collapse of Silicon Valley bank. All this as Wall Street heavyweights raise their own red flags for the economy. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon warning in his annual shareholder letter the banking crisis is not over. Starwood Capital CEO Barry Sternlich predicting on Squawk Box that we are going into a serious recession. And B of A's top strategist Savita Subramanian saying market sentiment is now below its financial crisis lows. So are investors finally starting to pay attention to the warning signs around us, Guy. I don't. If you look at today's market action, not necessarily. I mean, market showed some resilience today. I thought. I mean, it was lower clearly, but given what's transpiring, not bad. With that said, I mean, the banks are important. I mean, we talk about the XLF. You look at it trading 31 and a half or so, and we mentioned this the last week. I think you go back to February of 2020. It topped out around 31 before it cratered, like everything else did. So past past resistance becomes support. We've tried this a couple times now. You get through that 31 level, 30 and a half, and then it makes you wonder. Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan, MasterCard, Visa, that's about 40%. That's worrisome. And in terms of, I think, these energy stocks, which sold off, Paul Sankey talked about it last night. He said you probably don't want to be in refiners. He specifically mentioned Valero last night. That probably contributed a little bit, but he was right in terms of the performance. So I think at least through a certain lens, I think the market's figuring it out. But in terms of the price action, not so much. I mean, can you have a chart like the regional banks and, and whatever story they seem to be telegraphing with the continued declines that they are seeing and believe that it will not infiltrate to the other parts of the economy or the stock market? I mean, it seems hard to believe. If you think there's a problem there, there's probably a problem on Main Street. That's scar- that's, that chart we talked about yesterday uh, it scares me. I think there were things about today's market, though. Guys, absolutely right. The headline surface look fine. When gold moves 2% mm-hmm. um, and is having an emphatic breakout, not just a breakout, but like, all right, I'm leaving that last resistance behind that was resistance of all time, um, or it's actually 258, 2058, but, but basically the resistance that we've seen. Um, the move in interest rates, you know, we'll, we'll get to that, and Jim Bianco's going to have some great thoughts, I think, there. Um, but when I look at the semiconductors now underperforming the S&P by 4% in the last eight days, you know, that to me is one of those things I'm looking at. I'm looking for the cyclicality underperformance. And as long as those cyclicals were 
outperforming. I said markets were going higher. I don't like gold. Um, I, I don't like the data over the last couple of days because they really have put in people's face. We talked about yesterday's ISM and we used a lot of hyperbole. Today, um, that jolts number doesn't deserve the same kind of hyperbole, but we're down from, you know, two million jobs a couple months ago. Now there's significant job contraction and jobs per people and things that, you know, we're, we're measuring. Labor market's still strong, but can you imagine if this job market wasn't strong and what the market would be doing? Yeah, I'll just say this. I think it was Carl Quintanilla. Um, he tweeted out this morning uh, a stat from Apollo talking about the Q1 performance of the S&P 500. 20 stocks gained $2 trillion in market cap. The bottom 480 gained about, um, you know, a couple hundred billion. And, you know, when you think about that, you can define it as breath. You can t- define it as participation, however you want to do it. We've been in this position before. We know that it doesn't particularly, uh, you know, and per- that well. I mean, l- listen, people want to concentrate in the stuff that they feel best about, where, you know, if you look at these large platform companies, they have these monopolies, they have huge cash hoards, they have great managements, they have lots of room to kind of weather the storm. But they also have a lot of fat to cut, too, when you think about it from a cost standpoint. And we're starting to see that. And maybe that's why they've been rewarded. But then the flip side of this, look at the Russell 2000 closing down nearly 2% today. And you talk about some of these cyclical areas. You talk about the exposure to financials. You talk about the exposure to Main Street. You talk about on the other side of whenever this banking crisis is done, credit's going to be harder to come by. It's going to be more expensive. This is something we're going to start seeing in Q1 earnings and in Q2 guidance from companies. They're going to start telling us this. So to me, I, I just think that the only thing to, like, that this sticks out like a sore thumb to me um, that is not screaming recession is kind of the VIX at 19. It just seems like this is what we've become accustomed to is just buy dips here. And if you're buying, you're not buying dips here. You're buying these stocks that are up a whole heck of a lot, these 20 stocks. And I just don't think that's a safe uh, proposition at the moment. I mean, Apple and Microsoft alone are what mm. north of 13 percent of the S&P 500 in terms of weighting. So that's mm-hmm. what, why we're seeing the market look decent ahead of we've got jobs report on Friday, even though we're not going to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a quiet day. Right. It's going to be a quiet right. day volatile. on Friday. Volatile. We're ahead of banking earnings, which I'm sure we're going to learn a whole lot mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of what has gone on and what is going on. Karen. Right. Well, there's something that I thought was sort of interesting today. You know, we've seen the last couple of days between ISM and some of the, the jolts number today, things that would seem like the, the economy is slowing down. Right. But in the past, when we've seen anything that would show that, we get this Fed put or pause or whatever, and the market seems to think of that as the most important right. factor and rally on that. And yet now, today, uh, that not, doesn't seem to be the case anymore. I thought it was interesting. Jamie Dimon in his letter had a few things, of course, you know, he had a picture. There was a picture. So mm-hmm. I read that for a while and then looked at the text. And a couple of things I thought were interesting. Inflation which he does not see as over and talked about some of the continuing things that would be sort of supportive of higher inflation. So he would disagree with Barry Stern, let's say, who's, you know, the Fed has gone way too far. That I thought was sort of interesting. He also really talked about the need for commercial, for, I'm sorry, community and regional banks and how important they are to the economy. And so if they, we've talked about this a lot, if they're shrinking, if they're going to be regulated more heavily, this is going to be bad. Contraction of credit is going to be bad for the economy. So I'm a little more pessimistic on the economy. I don't know if that means if that's good for the market or not. But he said that consumer is still in good shape. Consumer is and in good shape. Said, I mean, he said that for quarters now and even now. And so how do we feel? I mean, 
if the consumer's in good shape, then that's really good. They're not feeling the impact yet. So, so getting back to some of those jobs data, because if you have a job, the consumer's fine. I mean, within within certain scope, right? So if you think about where we were from 2015 to 2019, there was 0.93 jobs per person. That's where we were. Jolt's data out today, it's 1.6. So even though we pulled back from 2.0, and this is a little inside baseball, but it tells you how strong the labor market is and, and how resilient it still can be, um, or at least it can still give up a lot of jobs and not even be where we were in a period before we went into COVID. It's interesting. Health of the consumer I get it. Jamie Dimon sits at a great seat. That's fantastic. Consumer debt's now $16.5 trillion. I mean, CNBC.com had a thing the other day. You know, in the GDP in this country is, what, $22 trillion? I mean, we're getting into sort of uncharted territory in terms of where the consumer is. Now, maybe that's fine. Maybe that's the type of economy we have. But if credit gets tighter, people start losing their jobs, and there's some fear that comes in. People stop spending on a dime. We've seen it before. So when you have an economy that's 73% driven by people buying stuff, when those people get scared, the economy slows down. And it's also amazing. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about this oncoming recession, and there is an oncoming recession, whether it's this year or, you know, two years or five. It's going to happen. But what happened, and Guy, you use this term all the time, is that the Fed has kind of alchemied these out of the normal business cycle. And when you think about 2020 into 2021, I mean, our... Treasury, our White House, our you know, like all the powers that be, they threw $5 trillion at a black swan event and then kept things kind of all these conditions we're talking about the consumer, why their balance sheets in shape because they were infused with cash. Businesses were infused with cash, so they didn't lay people off. So the idea that like that some recession that's going to happen is some horrible thing, it's actually pretty natural. We talk about zombie companies. We talk about all the goofiness that we've seen in the private markets and in the public markets. I mean, the private markets was highlighted by what we just saw with SVB, but think about the spats, Reddit think stuff. about undefined. Think about, I mean, think about AMC. Tax. I mean, the list that is at the feet of the Fed guy to give you that one. Okay. By the way, guy, like, like, alchemy. When I say yeah. alchemy, what do you? But think? Uh, you know, no, like, it's so, an album. D- dire Straits. Great band. Sorry, Ben. Yeah. I apologize. No, I, I just know, had this. You know, I mean, you guys are brothers in arms here. So, oh, um, nice. 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 I just think that, like, so bring it back to the market is like, you know, where we are with valuations here. It just doesn't really discount a recession. You look at the VIX, like I just mentioned, at 19. That's not telling you that there's any fear. Well, listen, I'll tell you what's going to happen right now. Look at this Blackstone. Okay, so Blackstone round trips and goes back to the mid-60s. We were talking about Blackstone doing this at the same level. Remember when they put their gates up for the beat yeah. back in October? Yeah. Well, here it is. It's coming back. This stock barely sees an uptick. It's the most well-defined downtrend that you will see ever on a chart going back a year and a half from the all-time highs. So when I look at what's going on in the regional banks and I look at the KRE making new lows, I look at Schwab that touched 50 today and after, why is, if Jamie is putting out manifestos and he's still talking about, you know, how basically we are not out of the woods. There are more shoes to drop here. And ultimately, that's the thing that's going to work itself into, like, I think the major money center banks. And just look at a Bank of America, how poorly it acts. It really does act very bad relative to, let's say, JP and some of the investment banks. So I think we're going to learn a lot, like you said, on April 14th, all these guys are reporting here. And I just can't consider a scenario where any of these CEOs want to be too optimistic about this, this, this future that we just don't know. It's about is, uh, you know, I don't know, cloudy as it's been. Well, why in, in should three they years. be, right? Yeah. right? Why should they be? Yeah. They've There's got a no perfect upside. Yeah. free pass right now. Absolutely. We just had a banking crisis. Yeah. Every day I look at First Republic Investor Relations website to mm-hmm. see if they're, uh, they're, it looks like their earnings have come out April 4, 14th, but they haven't said so yet, which is fine. They don't really need to yeah. yet, but 
some point they're going to have to tell us it's not even about their earnings. Who cares mm. about their earnings? Right, right. It's about what does their balance sheet look like yeah. now? How much they have left in deposits? How much in the hole are they? And what, what is their that's, plan? That's the curious thing. Up, Our next right. guest is in the camp that the banking crisis is not over and could have severe economic implications. Jim Bianco is president of Bianco Research. Jim, great to have you with us. We're just talking about First sure. Republic, and I know you retweeted something, and I thought this was very interesting. And for those of you looking for a high interest rate deposit, listen up. Uh, you know, First Republic, along with a lot of these other, you know, banks that, that might have seen deposit flight are now offering very high rates to attract deposits, which tells me that, that maybe they are still seeing flight. They still need to replace the deposits that had left. You know, when you're talking about 4.95% on a liquid seven-month CD, that ain't bad. <laughs> and that's what First Republic is, is offering. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me what you just said, that they are probably still having a deposit flight problem. But the bigger picture of what's been happening is the deposit outflows from all these banks, it really picked up starting around Thanksgiving when rates went above 4%. We're in a new world now. We have mobile phones. We have 120 million mobile banking apps. It's not hard for you to pick up your phone, transfer your savings from a zero yielding account to a four and a half or four and three quarter money market account. It's the rational thing to do. We should expect that when the H8 report, which shows banking numbers come out week after week after week, that we will see deposit outflows. It, why would people automatically say, I want to watch Fast Money because I want stock tips, but I got $250,000 in a zero yielding bank account. I'm not going to spend three minutes on my phone to rectify that situation by going to a four and a half percent money market yield. And as those deposits keep coming out, eventually these banks are going to be impaired on their ability to continue to lend, and that could hurt the economy. So basically, even if the, even if deposits go up or seem to stabilize, uh, at the drop of a hat, they can they can uh, you know leave just as quickly as they left during this banking crisis. And so there really is no, I mean, in your view, is there a, a, a safety period where we can say you know oh that was over because it seems like you can't really put up gates on the world of mobile banking and prevent this from happening again. You don't want to put up gates. That would be the wrong yeah. answer to do is to put restrictions on your money or my money. Really, once the banks start offering deposit rates that are competitive with market rates, then you would say there's no reason for me to reach into my pocket, pick up my phone and move my money. And then things would stabilize. But other than Pacific West, First Republic and a couple of other banks that have been in the news that have raised their deposit rates quite a bit, the vast, vast majority of banks are still offering deposit rates down around half a percent, if not with the big money center banks down somewhere near zero. So they're not offering anybody any kind of incentive to stay other than a safety incentive. And once they've reset their password, they're going to start looking elsewhere. And a lot of them have in the last month. Hey, Jim, it's Tim. So a lot of what you're talking about now, but certainly the things that have uh, built in this conversation are about bond market volatility. Guy talks about it all the time. You've talked about it all the time. I think we all do. Um, you know, a 3% two-year to me is a 3,500 S&P. And, and I, I'm just curious your view on the moves we've seen over the last couple of days. When we finally got in kind of that devastating economic data um, that I think has probably got more behind it. Yeah, you're, you're right. It, you know, whether rates go up or down is not nearly bullish or bearish for stocks. It's why. If we're going to get a 3% two-year note because the economy is falling apart or is having a problem, uh, that is not good news because typically the worst time to own the stock market is when the Fed starts cutting rates because then they admit that there's a problem. They're trying to stop a recession. They're usually too late. 
and they can't. Now, they're not cutting rates now. They're still talking about raising rates. But if we ever got to that position, it would be problematic. Bond market volatility is still very, very high right now. It's the opposite. I've heard you guys talking about the 19 VIX. The move index, which is the version of the VIX in the bond market, is at 147, which is almost a two standard deviation high. That's inside talk for it's very high. And it is suggesting that the bond market is still somewhat unsure about what's going on and very chaotic, unlike what you're seeing in the stock market. Jim, on a very first level, I read your notes. Technology is rallied because rates have gone lower. I mean, that's just sort of a knee-jerk reaction. But at a certain point, people wake up to the understanding that, wait a second, credit's going to be tighter. They are cyclical, um, and they're not going to be able to get access to capital the way they used to. So what is your sense about technology here? Yeah, that's it. That, you know, technology, to use a fancy term, is a long-duration asset, meaning they're going to earn a lot of money in the future, not a lot of money now. But when rates go up, then that future money's worth less. When rates go down, that future money's worth more. That's why they've been rallying, because rates have been going down. But if they're, again, why are rates going down? If they're going down because the economy's slowing, technology also needs people to buy their products. And if they're not going to be buying their products or doing le with less of their products because of a slowdown in the economy, they're going to have problems as well. So the knee jerk, you're right, is that lower rates, good for technology. But why are we having those lower rates? That could wind up becoming a negative for it, too. Jim, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Um, what do you think? I mean, if, you're, if they're offering higher rates, banks, mm -hmm. they're paying out more money to get deposits. Right. So, so they're paying out more money. Yeah. Obviously, their net interest margin will be mm -hmm. uh, smaller, for sure. Um, it's a question of, you know, if... For some banks, they have more than enough deposits. And I would bet that a JP Morgan right now has more than enough deposits. And it's sort of this, this value proposition. If you're a big company, you want to be able to have a banking relationship somewhere. And it absolutely, we see, should be at a GSIB bank, mm -hmm. right? Even though you thought you probably were in one-ish if you were an SVB, you weren't. And so I think there will be deposits for those biggest. It's concerning, though for the more than $250,000 depositor who's with a smaller bank, you've really got to, it almost seems irresponsible if you're a small company CFO. I hate to say but that. But that comes but down to credit standards. And so why were all of these companies that were private doing business with SVB? Because A, they were pushed there by a lot of their capital providers. They had no credit. Right? And then mm -hmm. they were given um, credit lines. They were giving yeah. uh, bank, you know, like, like private debt. And so that's the stuff that JP and some of these other large money centers wouldn't do. And so it is interesting to me that, you know, Jamie well, Dimon. they would do that. Well, they, not really, but like at much worse terms. And that was the whole promise of the Silicon Valley Bank. Keep it in our ecosystem here, and we're going to be able to get a better look at what you guys are doing and be able to compete better than you would if you so were to go to... So that goes private. It doesn't necessarily go to a J.P. Morgan. Or the, and there's a lot of private debt um, yeah. players uh, moving in. But it just means that the cost of capital for a lot of these companies is going to be higher, and therefore their valuations are going to be lower. And I, I think agree. that's the thing that's also seeping in, I think, into the public markets, thus the, the small cap index that we just mentioned, the Russell. Coming up, an AI audit. Shares of C3AI tumbling on a short seller's accounting accusations. What the company had to say next. And speaking of shorts, should you be taking the other side of this NVIDIA surge? Shares nearly doubling already this year. The traders have been bracing for a dip in the chip. How they are positioning when fast money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. C3 AI powering down today, plummeting more than 25% after a short seller alleged accounting missteps by the company. C3 AI responding to the accusations made by Carousel Capital. Deirdre Bose has been tracking this story. Debo, what's the latest? So Carousel Capital is alleging that C3 AI is engaged in serious accounting and disclosure issues. Remember that C3 AI has really been a darling of this AI movement because there are so few names for investors to get into. It's down 26% today, but it's still up more than 100% year to date. Here's what the company said in response to that report from Carousel Capital. It says the Carousel letter appears to be a highly creative and transparent attempt by self-acclaimed short seller to short the stock, publish an inflammatory letter to move the stock price downward, then cover the short and pocket the profits. Without comment on the legality of stock manipulation, nor the innuendo replete in the letter, we will note that their allegation that C3AI's financial disclosures regarding Baker Hughes are somehow incorrect manifests a fundamental misunderstanding of U.S. GAAP accounting practices and principles. It goes on to say the accounting disclosures and financial statement referenced in the letter have been reviewed by our independent audit firm for which we have an unqualified opinion and are complete and correct. Now, Melissa, it's a long statement, but to break it down, um, it has been a difficult company to read. Some analysts might argue because it switched from this subscription-based model to a consumption-based model, and that made its results difficult to read. And so on a lot of the earnings calls, you do have analysts asking, what's a pilot program? How do you count your customers? Also on the last earnings call, you know, uh, Tom Siebel, the CEO, who's been a fixture in enterprise software for many decades, he was asked how they're using generative AI. Said the honest answer is we haven't figured out how to monetize that yet. We haven't put a price on it, but a potentially very large market there. So not exactly proving out that model. And in this environment, we should note as well, when you see a stock that has more than doubled in just a few months, it is ripe for short sellers. We'll see how this all shakes out. But like you said, down 26% in the session today on that short selling report. So Deirdre, other software companies use, use this consumption-based model. And so how how does their accounting differ in terms, I mean, one of the main facets of the Carousel uh, letter and accusation is the ballooning receivables. And I'm wondering how that stacks up to other companies that have the same sort of consumption-based model. Right. So if you take a snowflake, right, which is kind of a poster child of the consumption-based model, or even at a bigger scale in AWS or in Azure or Google Cloud, these have been consumption-based models for years. So investors were able to figure out how to do year-over-year comparisons. C3AI switched at a really tough moment, not just for itself, but for tech companies in general, when people were having trouble reading these things. So they switched in the middle of sort of a new environment and more recessionary forces that were slowing down consumption 
or subscriptions, however you measured it. So that's what made it difficult and different from other models. It didn't, it just made this switch pretty suddenly and said sort of gave the financials, but there weren't good year over year comparisons to put it simply. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Dan, what do, you, what do you make of this whole thing? I mean, Carisdale, for to be clear, in the letter states that it is short this time. Yeah, I mean, listen, it, the, the first response is always blame the short sellers for doing something. Um, again, I think Guy has some views on this. I think we all do. It's like oftentimes um, a lot of these short reports end up um, un- uncovering some truths here. And, you know, the problem that AI has is that, yes, is up 150% or something off of no good reason, off of mania that's existing somewhere else. It's become a little bit of a meme stock. But if you look at their um, gap expected earnings, they're not expected to be like profitable for years. You know know what I mean? So like at the end of the day, it's probably easy hunting for some of these sorts of names if you can find this sort of stuff. But obviously I I read through the report. I have no, I'm not a forensic accountant. I have no idea, but this is the sort of thing sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, this is like a poster child for long duration, a long duration stock, which is what Bianco was just talking about. Well, it's interesting. Then you start doing going downstream and saying, who benefits from this? I don't think it's coincidental that you know, a name like Google has rallied pretty significantly since Dan started talking about buying Google and selling Microsoft. Now, Microsoft has as well, but some of these more developed companies that I think have bigger moats stand to win here. And I think it's not coincidental that NVIDIA might start giving up the ghost here. As the market realizes, this AI monetization thing might be a lot further away than people think. By the way, we did an extend an invitation to Tom Siebel, the CEO of C3AI, to come on CNBC, and we haven't heard back. So, Tom, if you're, uh, if you're listening, give us a call. <laughs> Meantime, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Semi short. NVIDIA's run has been massive this year. But has the chip rip come too far, too fast? The traders lay out their positions next. Plus, checking out of China institutional investors fleeing the china trade but are we due for a rebound the details ahead you're watching fast money live from the nasdaq market side in times square we're back right after this CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stock selling off as recession fears with the Dow and S&P both breaking four-day winning streaks. Treasury yields also slipping. The 10-year yield below 3.4%, posting its lowest close since September. The move lower coming after new data showed job openings falling below 10 million for the first time in two years. And take a look at Johnson & Johnson. After the close, the company proposing to pay nearly $9 billion to settle claims that its talc products caused cancer. What do you make of this treasury yield move lower? Seven-month lows here. It's incredible. If you think yeah. about two-year yields went 5.1% at its zenith. Were they 3.8 now? 130 basis points in the course of a couple weeks. Tim talked about it. The move index, we've been mentioning this for so long. I mean, that's not a healthy bond market. This is the largest economy in the world. Bonds shouldn't trade, in my opinion. So what do I make of it? I think to the earlier points we were talking about, there are other banks that were on the wrong side, not only on the way up, but on the way down as well. So These bond moves are no bueno, in my opinion. It's one thing to say that the Fed is not going to hike in May. And, and, you know, if you look at what Fed fund futures and we've now talked about Centelli with a really great 
at, you know, segment we did whenever this was a couple weeks ago saying, you know, Fed fund futures are not gospel. Yeah. Uh, they are. They are, though, the market sense of where we are. And they've got 11 bips um, till are at peak till we're at peak terminal Fed funds rate. And they've got 70 bips of cutting. So, so, you know, again, I get back to what the market was doing today. One of the other things that was most shocking to me was looking at the home builders, looking at the XHB down 3% on a day when rates are collapsing. I mean, this, you know, again, money for nothing. You'd think this would be great for housing, uh-huh. but in fact, yes, I did that. Um, yes, and I, did. and that wasn't why I'm talking about housing, but I, you know, I got there. Um, and I, and I, but it, it was the components of the XHB. It's not just looking at Pulte and Lennar. It's looking at Train. It's looking at um, Masco. It's Whirlpool. looking at the, yeah, I mean, these things are getting destroyed and industrial companies are getting destroyed. Resources got destroyed today. It's worth noting, so Guy, you just mentioned the two-year that was above 5% about a month ago, right? And so it's come in now below 4%. And, you know, you just said to Jim Bianco that with a, you know, two-year down here, you're thinking of 3,500 S&P. It's interesting, though, that the S&P has not made a new high from that period in early February. So there does seem to be a little bit of trepidation. You think lower yields, it's better for these longer duration assets that are driving a lot of the performance. But the S&P is still below its February highs here. And maybe that has to do with the concentration of some of the banks and the way that they They've sold off since then. But ultimately, I guess my point is, is that I would suspect that volatility in the bond market, the move that Jim Bianco just mentioned, is going to work its way into that VIX. Coming up, China withdrawal. Investors selling out of China tech, but not all the names felt the pain. The details and the move in the options pits next. But first, NVIDIA's run is unmatched in the Nasdaq. Shares up 90 percent this year. But the traders think this one's come too far too fast. The semi short next. Welcome back to Fast Money. NVIDIA, as NVIDIA has been ripping higher, traders have been bracing for a dip. Even last night, energy guru Paul Sankey in a pairs trade said to short NVIDIA, go long oxy. So not too many bulls right now to be found on this desk, at least. 70% of analysts on the street are bullish, in fact. The average price target, though, curiously, just over 275 a share. That's about a buck from where we are right now. So they're not seeing that much upside here. Um, Dan actually sent a chart around earlier showing that the stock was about 100 bucks above its 200-day moving average. This is a hard one, though. You can make the case that it's a short because it's run up, the valuation, we're entering a period where things are going to slow down. But it seems to keep going higher. You're caught in this. So, so look, at 236, um, I shorted NVIDIA a month ago, and I said, this is crazy. And I said it was crazy also. And then suddenly, and it was really driven by AI. It was yeah. driven by this, this rally in AI that they were given. We know it's the software. We know it's the ecosystem. Um, and then we had Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and, and I think this is a, a dynamic that I think added to the mega cap tech rally. I, I, look, I'm not saying I can't go back there. And in fact, you know, when you put a tight spot on a name like that, which I think you have to, um, it's, it's a better short now than it was at 236. <laughs> Our next guest says NVIDIA deserves a premium valuation, but maybe not as much as it has right now. Joining us now is Deepwater Asset Management, Managing Director and Fast Money friend, Gene Munster. Gene, great to have you with us. Is the only reason to be short the stock, the valuation, or are there other more fundamental reasons to be short? Uh, Mel, it's really all about valuation. And uh, your trader, Tim, has just framed in some of that, some of the move that it's had. It's surprisingly not at its peak. It did hit its peak back in November of 21 with the rest of NASDAQ. So it has been around 425 or 325. That's kind of where it's uh, peaked at. But uh, so this is a, a really tough position to be in because we've seen this before companies that fundamentally are doing all the right things i just want to quickly go through the right things that they're doing 
This is about as good as you get when it comes to a company that has a pole position in the infrastructure of AI. AI is going to have some hype initially, but ultimately I think there's going to be a ton of substance in the decade ahead. And it's not just the excitement around NVIDIA. It isn't just because they have great hardware. Tim alluded to their ecosystem. That's called CUDA. That is basically 400 AI models that they give away to developers, but they have to, the catch is they have to develop on top of the NVIDIA hardware. And so that is the flywheel. And it's hard to imagine that that flywheel unwinds. I would say this is that uh, there is a, a potential longer term uh, uh, dynamic. I'm talking, uh, you know, five plus years down the road in terms of how the architecture of these chips evolve. That's really all I can say right now. Uh, stay tuned on that front. But I think as far as the next few years, the only reason to be negative on this is uh, the valuation. And you're probably just going to find better places to get upside relative to NVIDIA. In an environment, though, Gene, when, where investors are seeking, quote unquote, safety, and I'm talking safety not just in the balance sheet, but in terms of execution, in terms of management's ability to execute and, and to deliver, um, in, in a world where we're seeing C3 AI, for instance, implode basically because of a short seller's accusations, and that's, you know, that had been one of, um, you know, uh, the main ways to play this AI trend, do we... Do we see money continue to go into NVIDIA? I'm just, I guess I'm trying to get at, is this a difficult short just because of the other things around it at this point, even though you believe at this point it's overvalued? I, I personally wouldn't short this because the, the theme, it's hard to, to gauge the momentum of it. It's going so fast. Goldman Sachs just put a report out on March 25th on the topic. It's a great report. It's got about a three-week shelf life at the speed that things are changing. That is something that I don't want to get in front of on the, the short side. And so uh, I would just say this. There are other great places of safety that can participate in the upside relative to AI. I think that's Microsoft and Google. Is NVIDIA is up 92%, uh, as you mentioned this year. Microsoft's up 29%. Google's up 21%. Uh, that doesn't tell the whole story, but I think that these are also exceptionally well-run companies. And I would argue that Google probably has the best case for being an infrastructure um, on, the, on the software and services side company related to AI. And so I think they're just, at this point, they're just better places to be. It's not a short, but I think it, just spend your time looking at other companies that haven't had as big of a move, but will participate in the theme. Gene, thanks. Thank you. Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management. Uh, would you short this down? Well, it's funny, I am. Um, so, so Tim just mentioned, uh, and, and I'm doing it through options, and I'll, I'll just mention this. So I've defined my risk, and Tim just said he liked the short at 236. He likes it a lot better at 274. If you look out to April expiration, that's nearly three weeks from here. The at-the-money put, the 275, which is slightly in the money, actually, you're risking about 3.5% of the stock price to break even between now and then. And if you think, as I do, that the NASDAQ is going to come in in the not-so-distant future as we get into earnings season, it's going to be NVIDIA. It's going to be Tesla. It's going to be Microsoft. It's going to be these, some of these stocks that have massively outperformed over the last month. They're going to lead to the downside. So I'm looking for risk reward plays. We keep talking about a 19 VIX. That means that there's ways to define your risk and make some contrarian bets. The most important thing I'll just say what Gene just said, and he is 100% correct. It's a matter of time horizon. This for me is a trade. I don't think this is a long-term yeah. fundamental short. Yeah, agree. I uh, I bought some decently and it went up a fair amount. I thought, all right, this is really too far, too fast. That was so many points ago. So I still am long some. But, you know, talking about where it peaked at whatever it was, three, I don't know, 20. The, the three-year interest rates at that time were well below 1%. And now we're at, 
you know, 380, was it 80 basis points? So that it's getting close to that even is kind of an amazing... I, I, I think in terms of tactical, again, this is kind of where we're going on this segment, is, is with NVIDIA. I don't think it's the first of... I mean, I, I hear everything you're saying, Dan, you're right. It has the most to fall. I think actually the high-quality stuff will take a couple... It's it's not, It's not. going to take a little bit of time. And then I think it's going to underperform to the downside. And what, what you saw on a day like today, and we say this often... If you're hedging yourself with, with, with ETFs like the triple Qs, you know, they help you for a while until they don't help you at all. Um, and then you want to have single stock shorts. I think NVIDIA, it's such high quality. I think we're all saying that. There's nothing broken about this company, um, but it's a tactical short, and you have to be careful. It's interesting. I mean, just in terms of the quarter they reported, I think it was on February 22nd. The quarter was fine. It wasn't great, but they told a great story. Mm-hmm. And that got the stock from, I think, 210 to where we're currently trading. So... You're buying a story here because some of the things that they're really data center was decelerating. Gaming, not particularly great. Margins actually contracted year over year. Are you willing to pay close to 19 times now revenue? I think last I looked 45 times next year's earnings. That's an expensive and it's still a cyclical semiconductor name at the end of the day, I think. Still to come, as Elon Musk dangles the idea of Twitter 2.0, which includes digital banking, he's still seemingly settling scores with his critics. Our own Dan Nathan is in the Shiba Inu doghouse with Musk. We'll tell you why. But first, bulls rush into Baba. What is behind this move higher in the name? And should you be a buyer, too? That trade and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. U.S. institutional investors pulling out of China tech and ADRs in the last year. Since the start of 2022, Baidu has seen outflows of 12% investments in uh, JD, NetEase, Yum, China, and Alibaba, all down significantly, too. But despite these outflows, Alibaba shares getting a nice bounce here. The China tech giant surging more than 14% year to date. Has anybody here been looking at Baba lately? No, no, I mean, no. we've no. okay. been looking at the range trade. I mean, you know, what, what this has been is, is it's been trading up, and guys brought this up recently. The, the fact is that they did this possible spinoff dynamic for mm-hmm. unlocking value, and it's kind of a laugh when, when you consider the value that they destroyed. And I'm somebody that spent a lot of time investing in names like that. And I have a long position in BABA. Um, that's not something that's changing my life, but, I mean, it, it's, it's something that I don't see enough here to add to that position um, after it being, uh, you know, destruction from 300 down to 80. Yeah. The spinoff, though, means that maybe Beijing is off its back. Maybe. But you remember, we talked about this. Ryan Cohen announced his stake in Alibaba. I think it was trading 118. We said on that night, you know, nobody rings a bell except Ryan Cohen's announcement just did. <laughs> and this stock was an $80 stock, not trading well until this announcement. So that gave it a bit of a lifeline. But I don't think, I think Tim is saying this as well. I don't think the stock is out of the woods yet. Yeah. Yeah, Karen, you were once in Baba. I was. Got out of it. Yeah, I got out of it. Any I just, temptation here? No, I just, uh, a few things. The, the underlying issue of what's China going to do, the rhetoric now seems good, but it could just as easily change. And the other thing is sort of the mental anguish to be in this again and then have it turn again. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. need to make it back where I lost it. Right, right, right. There's yeah. a psycholo- psychological yes. aspect to trading as well, which we well, don't always Listen, we about. are in a, a pretty red-hot economic war with China right now. And if you own U.S. stocks, you have a lot of exposure to China right now. And when you think about what they just did to some of their biggest companies that are also listed here over the last couple of years, it just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. So if you want to be exposed to their one, one and a half billion, you know, like rising middle class, that sort of thing, um, you probably have it through U.S. Monthly National. But, he, but here are the fundamentals, just really quick. We just told the whole story that everybody 
everybody knows on sentiment and corporate governance yeah. risk and whatnot. I mean, you know, China will reaccelerate in the second half. I think people are underestimating Chinese GDP growth. I think it's going to be north of 5.6%. Um, Alibaba trades at 14 times. Some of the parts, it is cheap. Um, the e-commerce story is not even the most exciting part of the story, kind of like with Amazon. So, I mean, it, it's worth owning if you can get your hands around all those things. Also, EM will outperform if the dollar continues to weaken. And EM has been outperforming over late. All right, let's dig in on uh, the China large cap ETF, the FXI. It's up more than 3% this year. One option trader thinks the fund is heading even higher. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so uh, despite the concerns that everybody was just talking about in China, the, the flow on balance in FXI was bullish today. Uh, an example of one of the bullish bets that we saw was a purchase of 6,000 of the June 30, 35 call spreads buyer paid the dollar. 04 for those. So basically, you're looking at a four to one payoff if it gets up about 19.5% by June expiration. But of course, 35 bucks, which is the target that they have here, is still a 35% discount to the June 21 highs. So I think this is a sort of a risk mitigated way to make a bullish bet if you're inclined to go that way. All right. Thank you, Mike Coe. And for more options action, tune into the full show. Not this Friday, the Friday after, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up from flipping Twitter's bird logo to the Dogecoin mascot to suspending accounts for April Fool's jokes, Elon Musk has been very busy over the past few days. But is he focused on all the wrong things? We've got the details on his latest moves and what it all means. Much more Fast Money ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Don't believe everything you read on the Internet, especially on April Fool's Day. Our own Dan Nathan took to Twitter on Saturday to play a little prank. He changed his name, picture to mimic Elon Musk and, quote, tweeted an actual Musk tweet from January in which the Tesla CEO called Dan a doofus. Dan's joke tweet read, just kidding. Dan at risk reversal is not a doofus and he has one of the best heads of hair in the media. I'm considering adding him as an independent Twitter board member. And just like that. Dan's Twitter account was slapped with a permanent suspension for breaking the company's rules. So Dan created a new account, Dan Nathan RR, which I'm sure will be shut down momentarily. And <laughs> 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 reached out to the social media site support staff saying, I tweeted an April Fool's <sighs> joke that was not offensive or threatening. Why was my account permanently suspended for trolling Elon Musk, the free speech warrior? Did you hear anything, Dan? Uh, yeah, and I spelled speech wrong uh, on the Twitter because I don't pay for blue, so I can't edit my tweets there. And, you know, listen, I, I, maybe it's the hair comment. I, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, fantastic. I, I, you say it all I the time. Yeah. And then, so thank good. you, thank you. Um, but here's the deal, okay? He bought it. Um, he broke it. He owns it. It's worth much less than he paid for it when he paid $44 billion in October. I think they just marked it down to $20 billion. He can do whatever he wants with it. I've been on Twitter since March of 2011. We've been live tweeting. We've been engaging with the people who watch this show. We've been doing a whole heck of a lot. We don't punch down like some people do on this platform. We don't spread misinformation, that sort of thing. And so I just kind of find it interesting. There was a tweet back in November of uh, 2022 on the 28th where Elon Musk said, this is a battle for the future of civilization. He's talking about free speech here. So he bought this in the notion of free speech. But if you can't make an April Fool's joke on his platform, it just seems kind of goofy, especially a platform. And I just want to make this. It's not political comment, okay? But right now, you know, one of the first things that he did back in November is reinstated uh, former President Trump. President Trump used this platform to spread misinformation about uh, an election that he lost. He used the platform to incite a deadly attack on our nation's capital. And that gentleman can get reinstated. Marjorie Taylor Greene was also pushing. She gets reinstated back in November. So it just seems kind of odd to me. Um, And listen, it's his. You can do whatever you want. Have at it, people. 
Well, now he's got one other account. That's I mean, now, now yeah. the numbers look even better because, <laughs> and then he'll he, probably suspend this one. You'll create. Well, here's the other one, thing. So. This is really important, and I'll let you guys get in here. You know, the New York Times—they didn't opt to go to blue. Okay, so they don't have a check mark here, and it's kind of interesting that all of this happened on April Fools, where they were changing this sort of thing. Yeah. We already know when they try to do this, this is going to be a big mess. And listen, if you lose people who have big followings and they're just not engaging with it anymore, all the other people who have six followers—they're just not going to be there either. And then you lose the advertisers, and then this thing is just kaput. Yeah. What do you think? Well, it's clear that Elon Musk and Dan are not going anywhere hand in hand. <laughs> I love what you did. What so they're not that. Romeo and Juliet. No, no, no they're yeah. not by no, any stretch. Feels like a skate away to me. Is this like a dire straits? It is. Yeah. It is. Okay. Yeah. Right. We just got some great songs. He's kind of acting like a free speech Karen a little bit. You know what I mean? That's not a dire straits song. <laughs> no, no, but it could be. Okay. Mark creative. <laughs> That's news, I guess, huh? Yeah. So who benefits, like, right? Uh, if, if it all goes down the toilet, as Dan's saying, this is sort of an example of how it's going down the toilet, him alienating people and people, you know, well, listen, organizations. Well, listen, this was, this was the story out. after he alienated all the, the advertisers. They all left. And so their advertising revenue in December was down like, you know, like 40% or something. Where did they go? Well, they're hopefully, going to Meta. They're going hopefully to, they're going to Meta yeah. and Google and YouTube and yeah. TikTok. Well, the, the check mark is something that, that I think gave credibility and, and certainly gave some sense of confidence in what you're getting from certain people and what you're willing to get. So, the, the, look, Twitter as a medium is, I think, been wildly valuable, real-time news, especially for certain sectors um, from the minute I've been on it. And, and it would be a shame if it no longer was a place. And I think we all have a pretty decent barometer on picking through what's garbage and what's not. But if it's getting worse, it's not a good thing for anybody. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. This is an environment for healthcare, and this is an environment for companies I also think that are trading in bottom of a very predictable range. Pfizer, we talk about their investment in their pipeline. PFE. Karen. Yes, I'm sticking with the one I had yesterday, the girl I brought yesterday, which nice. I started Friday afternoon, which is a triple Q short, I guess in Dan's honor. I'm going to stick with it a little more. Big right. run up hasn't come in yet. A theme developing. It's funny, I, I swapped out of QQQ into SPY. It was just killing me. I was wrong over the last couple of weeks. Um, TSLQ, though, looks really good. Mel, it's not just <laughs> Wall Street talking about gold. It's not just Main Street. Gold is being talked about on every street. Oh. G-O-L-D, Mel. Nice to tie up on the way out. Thanks for watching Fast Mountain Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Nice. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.